Diversion Podcasts. A Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This is the GOAT, Serena. I mean, to me, it's truly just amazing that after becoming a mom, she still wanted to come back to the sport and keep going at, at such a pace because tennis is an individual sport. It's up to Serena. She doesn't have a support system of a like an NBA player or a major league baseball where you have teammates. This is all on you. It's all on her to show up. It's unbelievable. She's competing against players who are 10, 20 years younger, you know, whose bodies haven't been through all those countless hours of practice. Uh, pressure and i mean pressure takes a huge toll on your body i don't think we even talk about that how much that it does we've seen an example of an incredible athlete but also a person that has said man this is what my life is too i'm going to be a fashion mogul i'm going to be also a business mogul i'm going to like do what i what i choose like living life she allowed her humanity and her expression of a, of a, of a spiritual incredible, talented woman athlete to come through. So she go to, obviously she's, she's down as one of the greatest ever, but you know, beyond the sport, she, is, she has impacted so many, so many people's lives. Welcome to The GOAT Season 2, Serena. I'm Chanda Rubin, former world number six, Grand Slam singles semifinalist and doubles champion, alongside my co-host, Zena Garrison, a former Wimbledon finalist, world number four, and Olympic gold medalist. In this podcast, part of Diversion's GOAT series, Zena and I and our guests celebrate the career and life of Serena Williams. We'll trace her path as she evolved from an outlier in the tennis establishment into the all-time Grand Slam singles champion and, ultimately, a cultural icon. It's hard work being the GOAT. Just ask Tom Brady, or Michael Jordan, or LeBron James, if that's your choice, or Tiger Woods. But it's even harder work for Serena Williams, as suggested by the title of this episode, Wife, Mother, Goat. Serena, who has more open-era Grand Slam singles titles than any other player, is functioning in a different environment than those other iconic athletes. The GOAT's world is largely a man's world, and nowhere is that more conspicuous than in tennis. Let's face it, high achievers who have supportive spouses and any number of children are common in big time sports. Most of them are men. That's been changing in recent years, but there are still relatively few active female tennis pros who are married with children. Even Venus Williams, Serena's sister, is single as she writes the final pages of her legendary career. Not so Serena. Think about this. Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Andy Murray, the big four of men's tennis are all married. All but Nadal have children. It's true for many other ATP players as well. But in the women's top 10 in late 2021, only two were even married and none had children. 
In fact, the only mother besides Serena in the WTA top 50 is her familiar rival, Victoria Azarenka. There are various reasons for this, but the most significant one may be the simple factor of age. Emma Raducanu, the current US Open champion, is just 18 years old. Bianca Andreescu was just 19 when she won her maiden slam, also at the US Open. Maria Sharapova was 17 when she won Wimbledon, the same age Serena was when she crafted her own Grand Slam breakthrough in New York. Women pros enter the hot zone of the pro game at a young age and tend to wait until well into their careers to marry, and they often put off childbirth until after they are done. That helps account for why so many successful players call it quits at around the age of 30, some even earlier. But Serena is not like most successful players. She decided that, all obstacles and red flags notwithstanding, she would have a child while her legacy was not fully written. It still isn't. She's 40 years old and not done until we hear otherwise. In her late 30s, Serena still felt that she had unfinished business to conduct on the tennis court. Here's how Renee Stubbs, the television analyst and former double standout, put it for us. Well, I think what it displays, Chanda, is um, the incredible uh, tenacity and um, will of Serena. Because you have mentioned some amazingly great champions. I mean, she did start playing when Steffi was still playing. They played a few times. You know, so you think about that. You think about the fact that she was around, um, you know, during the Kim Kleisters, Justine Anna period, Emily Moresmo, uh, you know, the, the list was long. Jennifer Capriati. I mean, you think about all the great champions yeah. that she played against that retired. They didn't want to keep going anymore because it's, I don't think people understand how difficult it is day in and day out to physically put yourself through it and emotionally put yourself through it. And so at some point they were like, okay, I want to have a family. I want to move on with my life. I can't take this anymore. And Serena's still out there. So the specialty of someone like Serena doesn't come along very often. When you think about all the Moresmos, I mean, every, all these great champions at one slams during her period of time, the Maria Sharapova's, they all, they're all done now, you know, and Serena's still putting herself on the line. And that shows you the, the uniqueness of her greatness to go through all. And oh, there's probably 10 more that we can mention that I can't think of at the top of my head. So I think they pushed her to get better. And then they were like, okay, <laughs> you know, that was my time and I want to move on. Whereas Serena kept wanting more and more and more and more. We don't think Serena just wanted more and more of the same old either. As Serena's good friend Common said at the top of this episode, Serena wasn't focused on tennis alone. She was always bent on living life to the fullest, even while keeping her tennis career on track. She found Mr. Wright in Alexis Ohanian, an internet entrepreneur. They married in 2017, and in September that year, Serena gave birth to a daughter, Alexis Olympia, almost exclusively referred to by her middle name. It just feels right for Serena's daughter. Serena had significant and ultimately dangerous complications during and after her delivery. We'll talk about that a little later. But even if Olympia's birth had proved easy, 
the obstacles facing a mother hoping to compete at the highest level are formidable. Being a mother myself, I can attest to that. It's one reason I waited to have a child until my playing days were done. Mothers who have won majors comprise a small number, right up there with the elite number that have completed the Grand Slam. Call them the Moms Club. Margaret Court became the first mother to win a Grand Slam in the Open Era when she defeated Yvonne Goolagong at the 1973 Australian Open. Ironically enough, the next player to join this select group was Goolagong herself seven years later. She became the second mother to win a major and is still the only one to win Wimbledon. The third and last player to join the Moms Club was Kim Kleisters. In addition to being a mom when she won the 2009 U.S. Open, she was the first and remains the only female wildcard to win a major. She won the U.S. Open again in 2010 and added an Australian Open title in 2011. Serena would like nothing better than to join this club. The bar was set fairly high for Serena, but that's rarely a problem for the GOAT. She was undoubtedly hurt by having to miss four major tournaments while pregnant and then recovering from a difficult childbirth. Despite the physical and emotional toll of her maternity, she returned to the tour at age 38 and proceeded to reach four Grand Slam finals. Up until 2018, Serena had lost consecutive major finals just once in her career. But starting at Wimbledon in 2018, she lost four straight. Her opponents mostly played very well, but that was Serena on the other side of the net. She seemed to be feeling the pressure, self-imposed and otherwise, wanting to win for her daughter while also chasing Margaret Court's all-time record of 24 major singles titles. You heard from Monica Sellis at the beginning of the episode but let's bring the Tennis Hall of Famer back for a few more words before we turn to our special guest, Jill Smoller. I don't think we even talk about that, how much that it does to your body. And really the injuries to come back from them and to still be hungry after just doing rehab month, month after month and then suddenly get re-injured so you're thrown back to score one and not to get disappointed. And I think for her to keep that all in balance with being a mom, working and working around the world, mm. <laughs> it's not like, it, you know, so just so many unknown components uh, on unknown surfaces you're playing time zones. I truly don't even know how she's able to manage all that with Olympia. I mean, just putting when, you know, a little one to sleep with the different time zone <laughs> changes and it's, you know, and then having to know, Hey, I got to wait, play at a top level next day. Somebody that, you know, is absolutely going to bring their a game because anybody to this day that plays Serena knows they got to bring their a game yeah. because they know what's there. And, and, you know, and Serena's come so close, uh, from the, that elusive number, but at the same point to me, does she reach that or not? I mean, she is, mm -hmm. I mean, when you think about it, unreal, what she has done and is, is the greatest of all with Margaret Court or Billie Jean King, all this, Martina Navratilova, Chrissy Everett, Stephanie Graff. I mean, what all these ladies have done is truly unbelievable. It's time to bring in our special guest. 
Throughout her career, Serena has shown and inspired great loyalty to and with the people she works with, whether they be coaches, trainers, hitting partners, and those who manage her affairs. Our guest is perhaps the outstanding testament to that quality in Serena. So without further ado, well, I'm happy to have joining us today, Jill Smoller, an executive and powerhouse sports agent with WME Agency, former WTA player, and the longtime agent of Serena Williams. So thank you, Jill, for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. And Zena and Shonda, don't laugh at former WTA player. I can, I can, <laughs> Not at I can, all. That I can feel. I can feel. I can feel Zena thinking about my my inside-out slice backhand return <laughs> on the doubles court and and how well that would work today. An inside-out no, no, no. slice I backhand. I told Chanda that she was going to say something about the doubles match. Yes, she that. did. <laughs> No, but just generally speaking, I was laughing with somebody yesterday because I was saying, like, when I used to play, I chipped a backhand return in doubles. Can you imagine doing that today? No, well, but no, you were innovative, no. Dill. You were innovative. They need to I do was, that now. It was before and after my time. It's only because I couldn't awesome. hit up on the back end. Anyway, nice to <laughs> Well, you know, I have to say, Jill, I mean, you know, agent doesn't begin to encompass the relationship you have with Serena. I mean, you have a very special relationship you have for so many years. How would you describe working with her? I mean, I think I, I first would say, um, you know, it's been an honor to have had a seat at watching who I think is the greatest player of all time um, and having a close seat at that table, you know, on and off the court. I think it's been a tremendous honor. It's been not a linear ride. Uh, you know, as you guys know, I've always said sort of the mark of, of being great at the kind of job I do is not so much how you show up in the moments of victory, but in the moments when things are falling apart and the wheels are falling off the bus and sort of how you show up for somebody. So I think it, it's been an amazing ride. It continues to be an amazing ride. And it, it, it's, it's extraordinary watching how she's developed as a person, both on and off the court. Jill, I've always been really amazed how you guys have been able to develop this whole strong women. You know, a lot of people don't realize like there's not many women agents, but you know, the loyalty that you and Serena have developed for 20-something years or whatever it's been, like, give us some insight to that, because we all know with agents, it ain't that easy. With players, yeah. it ain't that easy. But the loyalty that you guys have built among each other has been amazing. Yeah, and I, and I think, even though I'm obviously very much older than Serena and, and, you know, she could almost be my child. Um, <laughs> I, we, we kind of grew on this together. When I started with her, I, I started in the mailroom at a talent agency. I didn't go the normal route. I didn't go work for a sports agency. She had been at IMG at the time. I think she decided that she wanted different representation. Taking a chance on an unknown quantity and especially a woman in the largely man's world of sports agents, was a signature stroke of Serena. She was willing to gamble and leave powerhouse sports representation firm IMG. That was partly because once again, she was taking the long view, looking beyond the tennis court. WME or William Morris Entertainment had a larger palette of interest 
The talent agency also reps film stars, including Ben Affleck, Whoopi Goldberg, and Jennifer Garner. So it's been interesting in that it's been very long term. We've been through a lot of um, life experience together. And, and I go back to saying, you know, what I said before, it's sort of the measure of how you show up for one another when things are not going well. And I think it's easy to sit there when someone has won 23 grand slams. Uh, it's a little bit different. And the, there are certainly trials and tribulations in the relationship as you both grow. And, I, you know, I think at the heart, Serena is a very loyal person. But also at the end of the day, if the business, if the business job wasn't getting done, she demands a level of excellence. And if it's not there, I think I probably wouldn't be sitting in this position now. We'll be right back with more of The Goat, Serena. We're going to jump ahead of ourselves a little bit here so we can demonstrate just how tightly knit Serena's tennis crew is. Jill has a wonderful story about how Serena and Alexis, her husband-to-be, became engaged in early December of 2016. We asked her if we could share it. The only one that I would say that was kind of funny is when Alexis had planned the, the, the surprise engagement. And it, 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 as everyone knows, because it's public knowledge, they, they got engaged in Rome. Mm -hmm. And I remember, first of all, she doesn't like surprises. Second of all, it was during like kind of a training block and he made all these plans. And initially we were supposed to be, I think in Dubai, we were supposed to be somewhere in Europe. And then what I was going to do is tell her we had a pen, we had a big meeting we had to do. I think it was with our mom. I don't know who the meeting was going to be with, but we were going to have to stop in Rome for the day for a meeting. So it all made sense. And mm -hmm. then stuff got canceled for whatever the reason. I don't remember. I don't remember the, the exact details, but what, for whatever the reason, she didn't go overseas. So I flew from LA. I landed in Florida. She was out and I, she got back to the house and the bag was packed and she was not happy. She's <laughs> like, I'm not going, I'm not getting on a plane. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. So I had to go with her that we drew, we drove from Palm beach to Miami. We got on a plane to go to Rome and it was, I'm like, listen, let's just get off. Like, she's like, I hate traveling. Why do, why do you think, why does anyone think I would want to travel when I don't have to travel? Like, it's what I do. So I, I remember that distinctly because it was the most stressful, let's call it 20 hours. <laughs> and we got on the plane and then she got there. And I remember we got to the hotel and like, she kind of must have known, so, you know, something was going to happen, but she kept stalling. She wanted to go down and take a sauna. She wanted to go. She took a bath. I remember sitting at the out on the bathtub talking to her. I was sitting on the on the top of the toilet. She was in the bathtub. I'm like, okay, you know, come on, let's go. Alexis was waiting, and it's like it was a process. And she made him wait and wait and wait. And inevitably, it was amazing, and she was so happy. But it was it was not easy getting her there. So she was okay was with that surprise after the fact. I mean, it, after the fact, after all the <laughs> heaven and Han, but it, she did not make it easy. I remember my, my, myself and Alexis's assistant were sitting, it was at the Cavalieri Hilton in Rome. It was a tournament hotel where they met for the first time. And we, and I remember, you know, he proposed outside by the pool, this little table, and it was obscured by these big bushes. And Lizzie and I were like peeking through the bushes. I was trying to see. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't even let her have that moment. 
And just to add a postscript to that, Serena accepted Alexis's proposal in early December of 2016. About three weeks later, Serena announced the engagement in a post on Reddit, a social media website co-founded by her husband-to-be. The guests included A-list celebrities, Beyonce, Anna Wintour, and Kelly Rowland. But guess who presided over the wedding ceremony? Serena's longtime fitness trainer, Mackie Shillstone. He described the experience for us in a previous episode entitled The Holy Grail of Longevity. Now that's a tight-knit team and one that has endured a lot from peak to valley. Well, you know, you talk about how much you guys, you know, have been together. I mean, really through thick and thin, on and off the court. What do, what do you see that has really driven her and kept her motivated through all of it? I think that she she has a demand for excellence, and I think that she has wanted to create. You know, she, her legacy is what it is, and I think she wants to be able to do everything on her own terms and and be able to be in control of her narrative and i think what's kept her motivated each time is that she didn't feel like she was done right i think mm. you put an obstacle in front of her and i'll give you a person who will put their head down and stop at nothing to accomplish what they have set in front of them mm -hmm. and i think that she's had more obstacles than anybody i know over time both personally and professionally and each time she's stopped and taken a look and, and said, you know, I'm not finished. There's more to do. And, and how do I get to the historic moment? Now, with that said, I've always said at 23 or at 20 or whatever the number was, like she shouldn't have to hit another ball to, for us to be able to say that what she's done is historic. Yes, there's that 24 or that 25, but it, the times were so different back then. How do you mm -hmm. compare 23 Grand Slams in this day and age to a record set 100 years ago when, you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, the tennis was very different? And again, no disrespect to anybody, um, but I feel like she, she doesn't have to hit another ball to have her greatness set in stone. But I, I do know that I, I feel like there's still stuff undone. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. she, likes, she likes to be able to control her narrative and and her legacy as best she can and that always doesn't always work out but she certainly has and will do everything she can to to see it through people do get stuck on that number 24 as if she really needs to hit those digits to dispel all doubts about her status as the goat it's understandable Big time athletics is about performance and numbers and stats quantify where a player ranks. But tennis insiders and great players have a much broader vision. They understand the difference in eras and other factors, including the quality of competition, evolving standards of fitness, and even equipment. The current era is different in so many ways starting with the revolution that opened tennis to pro players. Well, it's really funny, Jill, that you mentioned, you know, she doesn't have to do anything. And as we've been doing this podcast with her, I mean, there's so many people that literally love her. There's many things that she's done that has changed their life or the way they look at things. But I, you know, Chandra's heard me say this before. I was presently surprised we had Martina Navratilova on, 
on this on this podcast. Now, Martina is a girl within herself. Martina was giving Serena so much praise, and she like she ain't, she ain't gotta do nothing else. Like mm-hmm. you know, she don't hit another ball. Like she literally is the greatest, you know. And that's coming from Martina Navratilova, which it, which is which is nice to hear because I think everybody has uh, their opinion on again. Why are we having a conversation of of who the goat is? You, you're you're playing in an era of greatness with Roger, Rafa, Novak, Serena, Venus. They're they're all sort of in their own way, the goats in, in different capacities. So I just, I feel like we don't spend enough time appreciating greatness when we have it. And it's so mm-hmm. often that when, when athletes or entertain, whoever it is, it, it's so often that when they're done, everybody starts to realize what we witnessed. And I just wish yeah. everybody, everybody would take their time now and appreciate all of these, all of these pieces of talent and yeah. and be thankful that we've got to witness it. Um, one, not try to push them out, let them do things on their own terms. Allowing great athletes to do things on their own terms is a big ask. Fans have unrealistic expectations. Give them some, they want more. And they expect perfection. It's a part of the territory for a GOAT or any elite athlete. Often, the great ones need to be humanized so people can have a greater appreciation and understanding of what they have achieved, of who they are under that cloak of greatness. Serena's late career experiences culminating with motherhood led countless people to marvel at how she bounced back and renewed her Grand Slam quest. She was almost 40 and carrying a significant history of injury and serious illness. Even those who know little about tennis were moved and inspired by her efforts. Her status as an icon probably grew more in the last four or five years than at any period in the past, including after she completed those Serena Slams. I feel like we too often celebrate people when they're done and really didn't take the time and be present to enjoy them when they were still active. I feel like Serena has gotten a lot more of that over the last couple of years. I feel like there's been a different appreciation for her. I I, I kind of feel like it started post becoming a mom. Hmm. And, you know, I feel like the perception of her softened, even though it was always, you know, those of us on the phone who know her well know that it's always been the same. Um, I feel like what she's shown the public may have changed a little bit. And I think with all of the ups and downs and traumas and tragedies and things that she's had to go through, it gives you such vast life experience. And you look at things with a different perspective about what's important. Yes, traumas and tragedies. Serena has had her share of them, more than her share, perhaps. But let's focus on the ones that happened to coincide with some of the most joyous moments in her life, during and after giving birth. During labor, baby Olympia's heart rate dropped. Serena underwent an emergency C-section during delivery. Serena later told People Magazine that she was devastated by the complication. She was also worried for her baby. But the baby stabilized. Referring to Baby Olympias, Serena said, quote, once she was okay, everything for me was okay. Even though 
everything wasn't okay. Not long after giving birth, Serena found herself having difficulty breathing. During a coughing fit, her C-section wound reopened. Nurses came to her aid and soon doctors discovered that she had developed blood clots, including a dangerous one in a lung. Serena went back into surgery and she was put on a regimen of blood thinners. She was subsequently bedridden for six weeks. Among other things, she was unable to train. In August of 2018, she also revealed that she had been suffering from postpartum depression, which she later modified to postpartum emotions. Well, Jill, you know, you talk about the highs and, and the lows and, and, you know, people don't always see this. You know, you've talked about, you know, the lowest point in your career came in, in February of 2011 when Serena was in the emergency room suffering pulmonary embolism and how tough that was for you. Can you kind of give a sense for what has it been like? How, how is Serena and what she's had to go through and what you've gone through with her? How, how is she different from what we see in the public, what the public sees? I mean, I, I, I think that she survived so much tragedy and trauma in her life. Uh, you know, both, uh, I, I'd say, you know, when I personally and professionally, I mean, a, a lot of the things that have happened to her uh, and around her, I think a lesser person would have would have tapped out. Mm. Um, I, I think that what happened in the hospital for those four days was, I, I think, some of the hardest uh, moments that I've had to be through because b b I, some of the hardest moments that I've had to go through because it had not, like it was nothing to do with hitting another tennis ball. It was, is she going to stay alive? Yeah. And so when your perspective changes and it no longer becomes, wow, if I have a cease, like a comeback, any of these things, it's like, is she going to actually get out of this? And your perspective changes. And I think her perspective had to have changed, but it changed and it didn't. Because interestingly, as you saw in the HBO doc, she insisted on day five of coming out of the hospital of carrying Olympia's car seat into the house. I, I mean, she had that. been through, yes. she had been, she had been through four surgeries in three days. And at any moment she could have not made it. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's yeah. what you're thinking. Well, I want to be the best mother and I want to be able to carry my daughter through my door. I'm like, that. it's just in her. It's just in her. And I think the perspective change for her in that, she, she looks at differently what it looks a little bit differently at what's important. What's important to her first and foremost is her family and Olympia. Olympia mm -hmm. is the first priority. Her well-being supersedes everything. And so I, I don't think you can go through those kinds of experiences. But I will say before that, think about it. She had to show up in the world after losing her sister, who was the closest person to her. And I remember the commentary back then, Serena is focusing too much on other things or she's not, whatever the things were going to, I remember her going to Australia, not in the best of shape. And like, she had just come through a lot of personal trauma. And she was, you know, again, it also wasn't anybody's business. Mm -hmm. It wasn't mm -hmm. anybody's business. So to come out and say, Here's what I've been going through. And yes, would it have made it easier? And I, I, I don't know, because the public back then was so much, it was different. 
they did, there wasn't the openness and she wasn't beloved like she is now to some extent. And and the bar that was set for her is, was always different. The GOAT Serena continues after this. Many hearts have been melted by the obvious pride Serena takes in Olympia. Posts of mother and daughter on Instagram and other social media are enormous hits. It's impossible to escape the idea that Olympia is, as Zena likes to say, a Serena mini-me. And it's always been so. Olympia is such a breath of fresh air. She's like, it's like, a, I, I remember when the first time I saw Olympia in after she was delivered, because Serena literally went into her first surgery almost right away. I remember looking at her and I was like, holy smokes, it's a baby Serena. She really? had Serena's, <laughs> she, she had, she had Serena's arms. She had like these little guns, these little muscles. I'm like, she came out like that. I'm like, now I understand Serena. Cause if you look at Orsine, Serena is sort of built like Orsine yeah. mm-hmm. and Olympia came out with these little thighs and these little arms with little muscles. I'm like, how is that possible? I'm like, that is just, that is genetics there. Following up on, you know, her softer side, I've had the opportunity to watch you with Olympia and, you know, just being around Serena and Olympia, whatever. And just that relationship that, like you said, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to see. And, you know, how much has that changed her in these latter parts of her career? It's interesting because I think you never know what kind of a parent I, you know, I'm not a parent. I, I always call my clients, my kids. That's the closest, yeah. that's the closest I've gotten. So, I mean, I can't, I cannot speak on motherhood, but she has, she has done parenting and motherhood the same way she's done her career, mm. not allowing anything to get away in what her biggest priority is. And that is being a mom. And I think that's the tricky part of tennis, you know, over the last couple of years is, she's still not spent a night away from Olympia. Mm. And, 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 you know, amazing. <laughs> it, I can't amazing. imagine. I mean, Chana, I, mean, I, I know you're, you're a mother and I, I also can't imagine, but to her, I think she always feels like that, that is her priority, but it's also giving Olympia the best experiences and Olympia mm. is surrounded by so much love. I mean, I think that the good thing about traveling with, with Olympia has been that the family's always around. Everybody's always around. And as much as, you know, the structure, you know, how, how does she, she's really focused on how to give her the best structure, even being mm-hmm. on the road. And I think when you're surrounded by family and you're surrounded by love, that, that becomes easier. But I mean, I know that it's hard for her when she gets up in the morning and she has to practice. It's time away from Olympia and time mm-hmm. that once she goes to school, you can't get back that's the nuance in your career in this second part of it post-Olympia is that, you know, how can you be the best at both? Mm. And, and, you know, motherhood and parenting and, and kids are nothing but gray. And Shonda, as a mother, you yes. understand this, uh, obviously more than I do, that, you know, kids are gray. Raising mm-hmm. kids is gray. You know, when you come from a place of, of, understand of of things are black and white you win or you lose I I think it's such it's so hard (laughs) when you're going back and forth into those two mindsets yeah because just she's just been so present in Olympia's life that it's it's Mm -hmm. been amazing to see and I think it has softened her 
I also think, you know, you have to, she has to have that edge when she's on the court. And that's the, that's been the nuance. Mm, how, how do you have, how do you have that same, you know, I don't know what I'd call it. Um, that same diabolical drive and, and edginess when, when, you know, you do have this other softer piece. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't have children, mm-hmm. it's probably easier to do because those matches become life and death. And, and she still hates to lose more than anyone I've ever seen. And, you know, Zena's sort of seen that, like <laughs> there's no, no loss is a good loss is an okay loss. Is she okay with ever? Mm-hmm. And she goes into this you know, she can go into less of a dark place now because of Olympia, because inevitably when you walk back in that door, she is present for her. Yeah. And, 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 but, but outside of that, like she takes losses, I would say harder now than she did because, mm-hmm. you know, time, it, the, the time is finite and there's, there's so many opportunities left. Um, and, you know, I think also just the degree of difficulty of staying healthy as you get older, the recoveries get more difficult. Your body breaks down more. How do you train enough to be able to be as fit as you can be without putting the yards on your body? You've already had a, a lifetime of, of poundage on the body. All of this is you know, sort of in the nuance yeah. of the, this last piece of her career. So where does winning fit into the equation now? It's no secret that motherhood has a mellowing or softening influence on many women and the attention demanded by a child and freely lavished by mothers can really distract from the pursuit of athletic glory. That's particularly true in a sport for individuals rather than teams like tennis. Winning is always the most important thing to her. And and, and I say to people often, like, there's not a lot of gray with Serena. She understands winning and losing and second place is not acceptable. And when you have that bar, I always laugh. Like I have a lot of runner-up trophies in my office in, in, in underneath the cabinets. Like she never has kept her runner-up trophies. And it's not something that it's been, that she's publicized, but I will say that, I, and it doesn't make her a bad sport. It's that she's always felt like, why do I want to be reminded that I wasn't the best? Mm-hmm. I, I don't, yeah. you know, if you're looking, and conversely, you know, she doesn't look at her, victories either and I think she feels like if you're looking backwards she said it before if you're looking back you're not looking forward you don't have your eyes on the future and what you need to accomplish and so I don't think she's ever taken a second to understand you know the enormity she's had on on culture the world and sports and 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 pop culture just in in terms of her greatness yeah and you know being being a parent you know being a mother there's so many unknowns and you can't control the things the same way you maybe did over the course of your career, you know, whether, you know, has to do with your training or the things you do off the court or, you know, and Serena now, uh, she's the GOAT, but she's also a wife and a mother, as, as we've talked about. Has it surprised you at all that she's has navigated those two roles mm-hmm. pretty successfully? No, because I think that she, when she is focused on something and she's in that moment with something, there's nobody better. I think mm. wife, mother, act, uh, philanthropist, but a, an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. I mean, what she's been building with Serena Ventures. I mean, it was announced, you know, a couple of years ago, but she's been investing for seven years. She just always doesn't do everything to do it for the announcement. So mm. 
building her businesses, you know, she's always been able to be 100% focused when she has to be. And she doesn't do anything that she's not going to be 100% focused and behind because that means to do it not well. Mm. And so for Serena, I think she's had a different bar than everybody else. Her her degree of success and her level, you know, and it, it, the bar always moves. The bar is so high and she said it that way. So the expectation is, how it is, mm-hmm. is I say, I, I'm trying to think of the word, but the expectation on her and the weight of pressure on her, I don't think there's been an individual athlete in the history of sport. And I've always said this and people can disagree. I don't feel like there's been an individual athlete in the history of sport who's had the pressure that she's had because, but for winning, anything but winning is a disaster, both in her eyes. And I think sometimes in the public eye, you see sort of, you know, people love to celebrate Roger. And I think to some extent they're, you know, celebrating, they celebrate Serena, but when Serena loses, it's like a, a, a ticker on the bottom of CNN. You know, I think about the brand, Jill, that, that she's built, that you have helped to build alongside her, the strength that you all have had to have, that Serena has had to have while still competing and you know winning the way she needed to. Can you talk about what that has entailed? Two women, and you guys are still going at it, two strong women. Can you totally tell us awesome. about you know what, what that has entailed? You know, how have you navigated those challenges? Well, you know, I'll, I'll say that she has earned everything she has plus 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 right mm-hmm. nothing has has ever been given to her and i i will say and the 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 number of years where she had 10 12 whatever the numbers were and it's like the her partner she's always had great long-term partners but but becoming beloved as a spokesperson globally and across the board in all categories, I think didn't come until the public felt like they could know her. Right. And I, and I say that to say, I, I, I say that to say that she's dealt with every ism. We've dealt with every ism over her career, sexism, racism, every, every ism that there is, and she's had to do it under duress and while being able to continue to compete and not have sour grapes about Mm. she never looks at anybody else she only looks inside to what she's doing and what she's building and inevitably things were going to come but it's nonsense that it took so long for her commercially and globally to get the respect that she earned by the way yes earned based on performance, not on anything else, based on performance. And I, I think it's just, it was unfortunately, and, and still is, the nature of kind of the toxic environment that has, has still is pervasive. Uh, and, and again, I just, let's, let's call it what it is. I think that, you know, all of it, all of what she had to go through. And I think part of some of the relationships that she's built with, you know, with Nike, with Gatorade, with Wilson, with Beats, with Lincoln, with all the companies that she's, you know, the spokesperson for, she has to feel like they believe in who she is as a total person. And Mm -hmm. it's not just about the titles. Because for me, I always say to everyone, the tennis right now, to me and the world and what it is, is is not the least interesting thing, but the least important. Mm -hmm. What What she's doing for 
what both girls have done for uh, for equality, dealing with racism in the in the workplace and, and, and everywhere else. I think that you know what she represents as a person, as a businesswoman, as a mother, as someone that's been on the forefront of all of these issues for so long and withstood it under great duress. Again, I, I think the reason why corporations and fans in general have opened up more is because they started to see her as the human being that she is. Hmm. Yeah. She's a person. Yeah. She's not a machine. Mm -hmm. She's not a robot. It has been quite a ride for Serena and her team. In this episode, dedicated to Serena as wife, mother, goat, we had a great conversation with Serena's longtime agent, Jill Smoller. The bond Serena and her team have is special. Serena did many things in her career, some of them controversial. But one thing she didn't do is abuse, discard, or otherwise betray those who were loyal to her. And she didn't expect that close circle of associate friends to do any more than she herself was willing to undertake. We were also reminded by Monica Sellis and Renee Stubbs of how challenging it is to compete successfully at the highest level for so long, and then to do it as a mother, no less. The amazing thing is that there's no sign yet that Serena is done. As the 2022 season approaches, we're wondering when we'll see Serena again and how often we'll get to witness that explosive, spectacular game. As in other episodes, we are reminded of how much value Serena puts on family. She's not only the GOAT, but now a wife and mother as well. We want to leave you here with a reminder that we'll be bringing you another episode soon. But until then, we'll give the last word to Serena's sister, Isha Price. We were discussing Serena's chances of locking down that elusive title number 24 and the thought of what might happen if she failed to equal or surpass Margaret Court came up. Here's what Isha said about that. There's just no part of that that for her enters into her head. I mean, she'll she'll always try. Yeah. Um, and she'll give it everything she got. But I think that she's also in a place where she's at peace and she'll, she'll have peace mm -hmm. because there are so many other things at the end of the day that are important in life. And she has a beautiful baby girl, mm. you know, that she wants to be a great example for and and everything else. And my niece thinks everything of her, my mama, mama, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's the whole thing. And, and at the same time, a humbling thing to see like how Serena is with her, you know, that she's never spent a night away from her, like literally mm. since her birth. Mm -hmm. Serena has not spent a 24-hour period away from Olympia. That and is I, 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 it's it's, a, it's an amazing yeah. thing. I don't know how she does it. Because um, Olympia is a lot. But, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> She's a lot in the best possible way. Oh. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I, I, I think that it's, it's just a mature perspective. You know, I think she has a mature perspective about um, of, about what it is doesn't mean she's going to stop trying but it absolutely means that you know whatever happens she'll be fine
The Goat Serena was written by Pete Bodo. This season is hosted by Zena Garrison and Tanda Rubin. Produced and directed by Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Our consulting producer is Andrew Kalb. Production assistance from Anita Okoye. And our social media consultant is Stephen Tompkins. Original music by Andy Marvel. Our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Executive producers, Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA and Susan Canavan. <laughs>